Welcome to the What We Lost podcast. Conservative Pierre Polyev and the NDP's Charlie Angus appear to have very little in common. But that did not stop these strange bedfellows from playing an outsized role in fueling misperceptions about the charity and its operations. Instead of celebrating the success of the CSSG launch with 35,000 youth applicants, media were immediately critical of the CSSG program from the announcement. I'm Martin Luther King III, and this is the What We Lost podcast. This is the real story behind some of the most critical headlines. The Storm After the Calm On the day the CSSG launched, the Toronto Star trumpeted Ottawa outsources student grant program to a Toronto charity that works with Justin Trudeau's wife. The article said nothing about the scope of the project, the number of people it was designed to help, its innovative approach, or the speed with which it was brought to fruition. The Globe and Mail followed suit the next day, with Trudeau accused of cronyism over giving We Charity a contract to run $912 million student volunteer program. It was obvious that critics saw the CSSG not as a lifeline for struggling students during a global pandemic, but as an opportunity to attack and embarrass the liberal government. And once they seized on it, they weren't going to let go. We's public relations team had anticipated that Sophie Gregor Trudeau's history with the charity. She was a volunteer ambassador for We Wellbeing and had hosted a popular podcast on mental health might be used to imply that the student program was some kind of quid pro quo. But they thought they had this covered. Before she even started working with the organization, Gregor Trudeau, had approached the Ethics Commissioner to review the relationship and rule on whether it created a conflict of interest. Mario Dion said it did not. None of that seemed to matter, of course, to opposition politicians who sensed blood in the water. They needed a sustainable line of attack on the government, which in the summer of 2020 was buoyed by Canadians' generally favorable opinion of its handling of the COVID crisis. By June, the Liberals had climbed past 40% in the opinion polls, giving them a level of support they had not seen since 2015. Just three months earlier, they'd been behind the Conservatives by several points. It's clear that the governing party had received a boost as a result of the COVID-19 crisis as have most parties governing provinces across the country, noted the CBC's polling analyst, Eric Grenier, on the day after the CSSG was announced. Trudeau's liberals, he concluded, were comfortably into majority government territory. If the opposition did not act quickly, the next election would be over before the writ was even dropped. 
Looking back, it is fascinating to reflect on how much the pandemic changed Justin Trudeau's political fortunes. The wartime mentality created by the COVID crisis made opposition politicians reluctant to criticize him. And for months, the only story in the news was the pandemic and the government's mostly well-regarded response to it. Trudeau also improved his own position enormously through his daily pandemic press conferences, which were seen as calm and reassuring and kept his face on TV screens from coast to coast. Meanwhile, the economy was showing signs of recovery and the mitigation efforts appeared to be working to slow the spread of the virus. But by the end of June, the media craved a new story, and opposition members of parliament were ready to stop pulling their punches. The Gregor Trudeau issue was the starting point, but it soon gave way to a broader narrative about a sweetheart backroom deal involving the Kilbergers, Trudeau, and finance minister Bill Murnau, all of whom in the media's telling of it were close personal friends. According to this fictional narrative, Trudeau himself chose We Charity to run the CSSG as a thank you to the Kilbergers for boosting his wife's profile. Or he did it because We Charity was on the verge of bankruptcy and he wanted to bail out his pals. Or maybe it was because the Kilbergers had been using We to funnel money to Trudeau's mother and brother for years. There were half a dozen other variations on the idea that Trudeau had invented the CSSG to give half a billion dollars to We Charity in exchange for some unspecified favor. Ultimately, the details didn't really matter. It was the idea of a cozy relationship that the opposition wanted to make stick. Strange Bedfellows Certain members of Parliament played an outsized role in fueling misperceptions about the charity and its operations. Chief among them, conservative Pierre Polyev and the NDP's Charlie Angus. They are widely viewed as two of the fiercest partisan voices in their respective parties, and they set about attacking the charity in a highly politicized, hostile manner, usually reserved for government ministers and party officials. As the soon-to-be-called We Charity scandal unfolded, Angus and Polyev led parliamentary committee hearings, appeared at press conferences, and book time on political shows to make their case. And they took to social media with a flurry of tweets. Over the next few months, they would each post about We Charity 70 to 80 times. They did not act in concert, but they certainly fed off each other. Strange bedfellows in relentless pursuit of a shared enemy. Polyev was first elected to Parliament for the Ottawa riding of Nepean Carlton in 2004, when he was just 25, a prominent and outspoken figure during the Stephen Harper years. He was Minister for Democratic Reform 
and Minister of Employment and Social Development. And in opposition, he has been the finance critic and jobs and industry critic. He views himself as a champion of the free market and an enemy of government handouts. To see him in action is to know that he relishes attack and is not shy about courting controversy. Back in 2008, for example, just hours after Harper offered a formal apology to residential school survivors, Polyev told an Ottawa talk radio show that he wasn't sure Canada was getting value for the compensation being paid to former students. My view, he said, is that we need to engender the values of hard work and independence and self-reliance. Although he's found himself in hot water multiple times throughout his career, Polyev has also been lauded by his peers for his effectiveness at pressing the party in power. In 2021, in the Hill Times newspaper's annual political savvy survey, he was voted the best public speaker, the most effective conservative member during question period, and the best opposition MP in media scrums. It would be hard to imagine a more extreme foil for Polyev than Charlie Angus, a punk rock musician and activist turned politician. Angus was first elected to parliament for the Northern Ontario riding of Timmins James Bay in 2004, the same year Polyev became an MP. He won that first election by just 613 votes, but two years later, he was re-elected by a margin 10 times that size. So he knows how to get attention and keep people focused on his message. A self-declared defender of underrepresented and marginalized communities, Angus has advocated for a host of left-leaning priorities, ranging from a higher minimum wage to more affordable housing to tighter environmental regulations. During his almost two decades in office, he served as the NDP's critic and spokesperson on a long list of fouls, including heritage, agriculture, public works, and indigenous affairs. This has made him one of his party's most prominent members of parliament. He is also one of its most profane. On Twitter, he has referred to those he disagrees with as fuckers, jackass, a smug, mean, aloof ass, and an irresponsible idiot. That last zinger was directed at Poliev. To the casual eye, Angus and Poliev couldn't be more different, but in many respects, they're cut from the same cloth. Both men are ambitious and have their eyes on leadership roles in their respective parties. Angus even jockeyed to replace Thomas Mulcair as NDP leader in 2017, only to fall short in the final weeks of the campaign. Both he and Polyev are career politicians who seem to believe the old adage about there being no such thing as bad publicity. They both like to fight their battles in the court of public opinion, 
Whether that's through traditional media outlets like newspapers and TV or social media platforms like Twitter. And they both exhibit a willingness to abandon the party platform and sometimes the truth when it serves their purposes. Polyev's claim that the civil service should have delivered the CSSG on its own is at odds with the long-held conservative belief in public-private partnerships. Angus's antagonism toward the CSSG was even more off-script, given the program's emphasis on reaching at-risk populations, helping students financially, and serving the nonprofit sector. Exactly the kind of government intervention the progressive politician usually champions. What's more, his own children had been involved in the We School Service Learning Program and had participated in Me to We trips to Nicaragua. During Craig and Mark's later appearance before the FINA committee, Angus said the program had changed his kids' lives. My oldest said that set her on a course for human rights activism, he noted, and yet that didn't deter him from contributing to the downfall of the charity. What seems clear is that Polyev and Angus saw the CSSG scandal as an opportunity to get at Justin Trudeau. We Charity became a proxy for the Prime Minister. Over time, they would even jockey for who could devote the most energy attacking the program and organization, with Angus tweeting things like, Parliament doesn't sit at this time of the year. But thanks to the NDP, we have CSSG hearings next week with the Finance Committee. The conservatives never pushed for this. Polyev later returned fire. Charlie Angus loves to talk tough, but it's all an act. He and the NDP back down and cover up for the liberal masters. In his role as conservative financial critic, Polyev took center stage in what he would consistently refer to as the We Scandal. On June 28, 2020, three days after the launch of the CSSG, he and two other conservative shadow ministers sent a letter to Karen Hogan, the Auditor General, calling on her to include the CSSG in a review of government COVID program spending that had been mandated by the FINA committee in June. Polyev posted a copy of the letter to his Twitter account. It was the first of over 70 tweets he made about We Charity between June and October 2020. In the days that followed, Polyev became the conservative point man on We, asking questions in the House and serving as spokesperson to the media. He was quoted in hundreds of articles, and in time, it became clear that many of his public statements were false or misleading. Meanwhile, Charlie Angus filed the complaint that prompted Ethics Commissioner Dion to launch his investigation. Ontario Conservative MP Michael Barrett separately lodged an additional complaint. At issue was whether Trudeau 
had contravened the sections of the Conflict of Interest Act, prohibiting public figures from participating in decisions that further their private interest, and whether he had afforded We Charity preferential treatment. Dion was also asked to consider whether Trudeau should have recused himself from the CSSG decision. The awarding of this contract and the relationship between the PMO and We Charity requires closer scrutiny, insisted Angus in his complaint to Dion. He also managed to slip in that We was reeling from the effects of the pandemic. Angus's crusade against We Charity, like Polyev's, was marked by mischaracterizations and false statements that served to create an aura of wrongdoing on the part of the charity. His goal seemed to be to throw lots of mud and see what stuck, and it worked. On reflection, it was a clever strategy to focus on We Charity and the CSSG because it allowed the conservatives and the NDP still nervous that a full-throated attack in the middle of a pandemic could backfire to assail the prime minister in an indirect way. Also, Trudeau did have a long history with the organization that could be misrepresented by people trying to score political points. And he was vulnerable to ethics charges because he'd run afoul of the Conflict of Interest Act in the past. Selling a Cozy Relationship The Prime Minister's first clash with the Ethics Commissioner was in December 2017, over what came to be known as the Aga Khan Affair. In that instance, Commissioner Mary Dawson, Mario Dion's predecessor, found Trudeau to be in conflict for accepting vacations and flights from the Aga Khan, the leader of the Ismaili Muslim sect and a billionaire philanthropist with deep ties to Canada. This was a serious conflict because the Aga Khan Foundation, an international development agency focused on alleviating poverty and hunger, often lobbied the government and had received tens of millions in federal funding in 2016. Trudeau tried to refute the allegations by saying that he was personal friends with the Aga Khan and his vacations had nothing to do with his role as prime minister. But Commissioner Dawson found this to be untrue. There were no private interactions between Mr. Trudeau and the Aga Khan until Mr. Trudeau became the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, she wrote in her report. This led me to conclude that their relationship cannot be described as one of friends for the purposes of the act. Dawson's ruling made Trudeau the only prime minister to be found guilty of violating the Conflict of Interest Act since it came into effect in 2007. Less than two years later, in August 2019, Trudeau found himself on the wrong side of the ethics office once again. This time, he was investigated by Mario Dion for his role in the SNC-Lavalin affair. Specifically, Dion looked at whether the prime minister had improperly pressured his attorney general, Jody Wilson-Raybould, to resolve a corruption case 
against the Montreal-based engineering firm using a deferred prosecution agreement. Such an agreement would help SNC-Lavalin escape criminal prosecution for allegedly paying millions of dollars in bribes to Libyan government officials between 2001 and 2011. In this case, Dion concluded that Trudeau had made flagrant attempts to influence Wilson-Raybould, both personally and through intermediaries, and that he'd once again violated the Conflict of Interest Act. The authority of the Prime Minister and his office was used to circumvent, undermine, and ultimately discredit the decision of the Director Public Prosecutions, Dion wrote, as well as the authority of Miss Wilson-Raybould as the Crown's Chief Law Officer. After Dion's report was released, the opposition attempted to interest the RCMP in a criminal investigation, but that went nowhere. Ultimately, Trudeau got away with another slap on the wrist. You almost have to admire the way the Prime Minister is able to skate free of serious ethical lapses that would sink the career of most other politicians. In my view, that is partly because of his unflappable manner. He shrugs and smiles, admits wrongdoing. I take responsibility for the mistakes that I made, he said in the wake of the SNC-Lavalin affair, and moves on. In the face of several scandals, cabinet resignations, a worldwide pandemic, economic catastrophe, and other enormous challenges, he continues to exude a calm optimism that is appealing to many. And in Canada and around the world, he displays a charm and celebrity-like magnetism that attracts a lot of fans. Plus, he loves a photo op. All these traits made him particularly well-suited to We Charity, which benefited from his involvement on the We Day stage. Trudeau had made We Day appearances even before he was elected prime minister. And once in office, he spoke at We Day Ottawa, We Day United Nations in New York City, and We Day Canada on Parliament Hill. This last event was part of the country's sesquicentennial celebrations, as was the We Are Canada campaign, a 15-part series that featured Trudeau and several other notable Canadians encouraging young people to volunteer for causes like environmentalism, science and technology, and truth and reconciliation. But after the CSSG hit the headlines, critics were quick to cast his previous we-involvement in a negative light. For example, the National Post called the Canada 150 video a campaign-style production that doubles as a promo for the charity. In the same article, Manitoba Conservative MP Candace Bergen was quoted as saying the video was proof that we worked for Trudeau and Trudeau for them. Critics can justifiably argue that it was naive of both the Kilbergers and the Prime Minister to think that they could share a stage and engage in high-profile photo ops without it coming back to bite them. 
Once the We Charity scandal took hold, it was difficult to find a newspaper that wasn't featuring images of the Trudeaus and the Kilbergers on the We stage appearing for all the world like the best of friends. But from my perspective, it is troubling that many media outlets propagated the idea that there was something wrong with the charity's efforts to invite participation from politicians and cultivate strong working relationships with them. We Charity relied on donations and goodwill, and it was smart to court the support of influential people who could amplify its message. Why would the charity invite the Prime Minister to the We Day stage? Because he was the Prime Minister. Almost any charity in Canada would be thrilled to have the Prime Minister attend an event. Why did We Charity film a video that included the Prime Minister encouraging young people to volunteer? Same answer. And why ask Sophie Gregor Trudeau to host a podcast? Because like many spouses of heads of state, she had a platform that allowed the charity's messaging regarding youth mental health to reach a larger audience. So the shock and surprise expressed by some critics at the fact that we welcome the participation of the Trudeaus and other prominent members of government has always struck me as manufactured outrage. There's no question that the Kilberger brothers and the prime minister had a lot in common. They were close in age, interested in the same issues, shared a global perspective, and yes, enjoyed the spotlight. But it's equally true that the relationship was inflated by the media and opposition MPs for partisan reasons. The Kilbergers were not friends with the prime minister in any traditional sense of the word. They didn't have his phone number or email address, never dined or socialized with him, and didn't get invited for cottage weekends at Harrington Lake. The relationship with Bill Marno ran a little deeper. Marno was the member of parliament for Toronto Center, the riding where we was headquartered. One of his daughters, an extraordinary woman named Grace Achan, who was kidnapped and held captive by the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda for eight years before escaping, moving to Canada, and joining the Murno family, worked at Me to We for a period of time. And in 2017, Murno's wife and daughter visited We Village's projects in Kenya, and later that year, Murno traveled with his family to projects in Ecuador. Murno's wife, Nancy McCain, yes, of the French Fry McCain's, is a well-known philanthropist. That, and not the fact that Myrno was finance minister, was what prompted We Charity to view her as a potential donor. Because the organization thought it might benefit from having her see its international work firsthand, the family was not sent a bill for portions of these trips. It wasn't unusual for we, like countless other charities, to comp local hosting at project sites for influential people if there was a decent chance 
that a visit might yield a sizable donation. It worked in this case. McCain eventually donated approximately $100,000 to each charity. It also isn't unusual for MPs and their constituents to have relationships. In fact, it is the role of an MP to know his or her constituents and take their views into account. Marno called the brothers by their first names and was invited to tour the WE GLC, and he and McCain once hosted Craig and his wife for lunch at their home. Over time, a relationship of mutual admiration and respect developed, and this was the context in which Craig wrote to Murno and his wife in April 2017 to tell them that he would soon become a father. In his email, wrote Dion, Mr. Kilberger wrote that Mr. Murno and Miss McCain were among the first to know the news and expressed his gratitude for the many wonderful friends and family to impart parenting advice. This and other overtures led Dion to conclude that this relationship was a kind of friendship. In hindsight, the charity should have been more wary about engaging with politicians and the optics around such interactions. I see that as a former board member. But Canadians may be surprised to hear that contrary to the impression given in the media, we charity never relied heavily on government funding. This is why, unlike many other charities of similar size and scope, it did not have a dedicated government relations officer. In 2019, government grants made up just 2.4% of WE Charity's revenue. The year before that, it was 3.7%. By comparison, the Canadian charity, Right to Play, took in $18.75 million in government grants in 2020, or 38.1% of its revenue. And Plan International Canada received more than $43.5 million in government grants, representing 18.1% of its annual budget for 2020. I offer this not as an excuse, but to help explain why the Kilbergers and many others within the organization did not immediately see their interactions with politicians as being a potential lightning rod. In any event, Trudeau, Murnau, and the Liberals were certainly not alone in receiving warm welcomes from we and the Kilbergers. A former staff member who worked in the charity's executive office told me how, in advance of every We Day's season, the organization would invite everyone from the governor general and the prime minister to premiers and local mayors to offer greetings at the start of the celebrations. It was completely irrelevant what party people belonged to. The same approach was typically followed for We Days in the U.S., where polarization, as everyone knows, is even more pronounced. In fact, although the whole We Charity scandal hinges on the idea of a cozy relationship between the Kilbergers and members of the Liberal Party, the reality is that the organization was applauded, approached, and accessed by politicians of all stripes, including leaders within the conservative 
and NDP parties. In its dozen-year history, We Day welcomed to the stage such diverse political figures as Alberta NDP Premier Rachel Notley, Manitoba Conservative Premier Brian Pallister, and Manitoba NDP Opposition Leader Wab Canoe. Trudeau and his wife were not the only first family to be involved with the organization. Ben Maroney, son of former Prime Minister Brian Maroney, and one-time presenter on CTV's eTalk, hosted the first We Day in 2007. Maroney went on to host four more We Days, even taking up that role for the primetime We Day broadcast on CTV. Although former Prime Minister Stephen Harper declined his invitation to We Day each year he was in office, his wife, Laureen, hosted a We Day after party at 24 Sussex Drive in 2013. Former conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, who headed his party during the We Charity scandal, was also a stalwart We backer. In 2016, he emailed the Kilbergers to ask for tickets to We Day for his wife and daughter. It was a favor for the MP, whose daughter had just changed schools and had not yet been able to earn her way to the event. Our family just relocated to Ottawa a week ago, and my daughter's class has already done the work and are planning to attend We Day in Ottawa this Wednesday, he wrote in his email. Would it be possible to get two tickets for my daughter Molly and wife Rebecca to attend with her? Sorry for the short notice, but it would not be fun for Molly if most of her class goes and she can't get there. A few days later, he wrote again to thank the brothers and report on his wife and daughter's experience. It inspired an already thoughtful and engaged young girl, he said. That is your specialty after all, and it makes us proud. The following year, during his first bid for the Conservative Party leadership, O'Toole approached Mark for advice on a policy paper he was preparing. I'm putting together a policy paper on community engagement and the enhancement or encouragement of social enterprises, he wrote. Your organization has been a leader on leveraging business models for social good. Any advice on policy or tax changes that would help organizations like yours that I could put out there? In 2018, he sought permission to bring a group of young people to whom he was presenting community service awards to that year's We Day in Toronto. You've been great in the past, but want a check before doing it, he wrote. In March 2019, O'Toole asked if either Craig or Mark would like to present a keynote address at a youth mental health summit he was organizing in his constituency. He noted that he particularly liked their article on social media and filter bubbles and risk to youth, and that it would help me launch this great initiative with the participation of someone with your profile. And when We Charity teamed up with the Pinball Clemens Foundation to expand educational opportunities for children in developing countries, O'Toole joined 
in the fundraising campaign through his Rotary Club, which raised several thousand dollars. In my view, it is reasonable to conclude that Erwin O'Toole knew what We Charity was all about. He knew the impact the organization had on young people. He even tweeted a picture he took of Lauren Harper and Craig Kilberger at the Wee reception that Harper threw at 24 Sussex Drive, tagging both of them and posting at Laureen underscore Harper, host a lovely hashtag Wee Day wrap-up reception at 24 Sussex with at Craig Kilberger and at Free the Children. Yet he stood silent while Polyev and others in his party worked to tear the charity apart. It struck me as a classic display of politics over principle, a charge that O'Toole frequently leveled at Justin Trudeau and Liberal Party during the 2021 election, which took place as I was finishing this book. One-time conservative leadership hopeful, Peter McKay was no different. He had ties to we through his wife, human rights activist Nazanin Asafin Ajem. After Wede Ottawa, in November 2018, he tweeted, extremely proud of Nazanin, who joined Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, plus others, to speak hashtag Wede Ottawa before 16,000 enthusiastic participants. She delivered a positive, empowering message for next generation of leaders. The Kilberger Bros, plus at We Movement, are a remarkable Canadian force for good. But by July 10th, 2020, with both the CSSG scandal and the conservative leadership race in full swing, he seemed to have had a change of heart. That tweet was deleted, not by McKay, a spokesperson later told the post-millennial website, but by an unnamed campaign worker concerned about inappropriate attention being paid to Afashin Jam from dark corners of the web. That wasn't the first or last time Afashin Jam participated in We events. Just before COVID shut down the world, she was at We's headquarters for an International Women's Day event sharing her own experiences. In the winter of 2019, a few months before COVID and the CSSG exploded in the headlines, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe and his wife went on a meet-a-wee trip to Kenya to see the charity's work firsthand. On his return, Moe shared details of this trip with reporters. We were happy to give what little we could, he told the Regina Leader Post but it paled in comparison and proportion to the kindness of the people of Kenya and what they were able to give back to us in the time that we had. The list goes on and on. In Ontario, conservative premier Doug Ford and his late brother, former Toronto mayor Rob Ford, attended several wee days. The conservative minister of education, Stephen Lache, had his staff frequently reach out to ask if we could host the minister for events at the WE GLC. He wanted to engage in anti-bullying seminars with kids, Mark explained, and also 
to help ensure that kids had access to mental health resources. In a hot political minute, however, these people tried to distance themselves from We Charity. For the attacks on Trudeau and Morneau to stick, the organization had to be portrayed as an extension of the Liberal Party. And more than that, the charity had to be a bad actor. An undisclosed conflict of interest is not so bad if the other party is viewed as having clean hands. In fact, that was exactly what happened in the Aga Khan affair. To create a compelling and sufficiently scandalous story with the potential to topple the liberal government, opposition politicians needed more. Even though to this day, no one has offered a shred of evidence that We Charity broke any law or did any harm. It had to be cast as untrustworthy for anyone to care. At times, it felt like the organization was being used as both a sword and a shield. On one hand, opposition MPs were using us as a weapon to attack their enemy. And on the other side, the liberals were letting we take all the hits, the law said. The end result was we getting beat up, and badly. It felt like we were in a wrestling ring and were knocked down over and over, and there was no referee to judge fairly. Looking back, I think the media did a great disservice to the Canadian people by failing to report on the long history of engagement between We Charity or the Kilbergers and influential members of the Conservative and NDP parties. To have done so would have exposed as false the key myth underlying the whole scandal that We Charity enjoyed a singularly cozy relationship with the Liberals. The narrative doesn't work if we and the Kilbergers also had deep ties with critics of the liberal government. And yet, that is the truth. Of course, in politics and life generally, where you stand often depends on where you sit. The fact of the matter is media and opposition parties could have spun a tale of cronyism no matter who was in power. If O'Toole had been prime minister, I have little doubt the liberals would have been just as vicious in denouncing the cozy relationship that allowed him to ask the Kilbergers for favors for his daughter or advice on policy regarding social enterprise. They would have painted O'Toole as having a trek record of reciprocating by donating to support We Charity's work. Instead of focusing on Gregor Trudeau's podcast about mental health, the politicians might have cried foul about Peter McKay's wife speaking about her human trafficking charity at We Day. Instead of criticizing liberal insider Bill Marneau for traveling to Ecuador, the opposition might have featured pictures of influential conservative Scott Moe building schools in Kenya. And if the NDP were in power, Liberals might have been up in arms about the fact that Charlie Angus had once said, We Charity changed the lives of his children. He must be trying to return the favor. At a minimum, Angus would presumably have refrained from telling the press that the appointment of We stinks of cronyism. 
The bottom line is that We Charity was agnostic when it came to politics. It cared only about impact and support for the students, teachers, and international communities it served. Michelle Douglas, the former chair of We Charity's Canadian board and a retired civil servant, later confirmed this during her testimony before the FINA committee. It was always our view, at least on the board of directors, that we were indeed nonpartisan, which had the potential of engaging any government, provincial, municipal, or federal, she said. Certainly, I did not see us as multi-partisan, but rather non-partisan as an organization. When I asked Craig why the organization had invited politicians onto the We Day stage, he answered with an idealism that seemed out of place given everything that had happened. The purpose of We Day was to encourage youth to serve. We invited activists, artists, entrepreneurs, and yes, politicians on stage as role models to encourage students. Politics is supposed to be about bettering your community. Craig's idealism aside, we all knew that at the end of the day, politics can be a dirty game. What makes this situation different, though, is that politicians aided, in part by the media, allowed the game to spiral out of control. And in the process, a lot of non-elected people got hurt. Millions of children in Canada and around the world have lost benefits and life-saving support. Teachers have been robbed of tools to help nurture a generation of active citizens, and tens of thousands of WE staff and participants in volunteer trips now may think twice before listing WE on their resumes. Our representatives have an obligation to contain the collateral damage from partisan squabbles, and they need to be held accountable for their failure to even acknowledge the damage they caused. Self-Inflicted Wounds The narrative of a particularly tight relationship between we and the Liberal Party was also fueled by a series of unforced errors by the government and the charity. For example, when Bardis Chagger, the Minister of Diversity and Inclusion and Youth, was asked at a daily COVID briefing on June 25th about Sophie Gregor Trudeau's involvement with the charity, she offered a convoluted response that sounded evasive. I would have confidence that the department has done all the checks and balances to ensure that everything will be successful, she said, and will work for the young people that we are here to represent. She failed to point out that Gregoire Trudeau's role had already been cleared by the ethics commissioner. In fact, many of the issues that would soon form the basis of the We Charity scandal could have been easily addressed that day by Minister Chagger as she made her media rounds in support of the announcement. Instead, she neglected to correct journalists who said the program's price tag was $912 million. It was actually a maximum of $543 million. The higher figure came from a single line in a background document provided to the media in April 2020 when the Prime Minister announced 
a suite of student support mechanisms to be rolled out in response to the pandemic. This erroneous number, which came as a total shock to We Charity, quickly stuck with journalists and opposition politicians alike, tagging the CSSG as the billion-dollar program. Conservative MP Michael Barrett, for one, railed that Justin Trudeau handed almost a billion-dollar contract to We Charity, and as late as March 2021, Charlie Angus was still using the figure. When we end up in a situation in the middle of a pandemic in which $900 million is awarded to a group that has deep ties to the Trudeau family, the obvious question is why that did not raise flags in the prime minister's office. Chegger also let stand assumptions on how the money would be spent. She failed to explain that the vast majority, $500 million, would simply flow through We Charity on its way into the hands of students. Most critically, she did not correct the narrative that suggested the organization was being paid to administer the program. In reality, any funds going to We Charity were simply cost reimbursements. It was a disaster because Minister Chegger didn't seem equipped to speak to or answer questions about the program or the financials, DeLaw recalled. It was very frustrating because we had flagged these issues to them during the contract negotiations and leading up to program launch. We said, you need to point to the ethics commissioner's findings regarding Sophie Trudeau. You need to explain that we are only administrators of the program, which was designed by you, and that we will be working with many nonprofits to launch and execute the program. We kept asking, can we make this really clear? And unfortunately, it just did not happen. Matters were being made worse by the government's insistence that it should have a stranglehold on all public communications about the program. When bad headlines appeared, We Charity was not permitted to address them, and soon the bad headlines were everywhere. Trudeau defends decision to have charity with ties to family administer student volunteer program, reported the CBC on June 26. Two days later, the Globe and Mail declared Volunteer Canada declined to work for We Charities over wage concerns with student grant program. And on June 29, the National Post announced, records show charity closely tied to PM received multiple sole source contracts, while the Toronto Sun blared, hashtag, we have a problem, Canadians upset over We Charity controversy. During those first few days of coverage, We Charity was unable to lend its voice or its perspective to the media reports. And once a narrative is set, it is very hard to redirect. The hits just kept on coming. On June 26, Trudeau's efforts to address his family connections to We only exacerbated the situation. This is one of the reasons why We leaned heavily 
on the public service to try and find different ways of delivering this, he told reporters, and they came back and demonstrated that the WE organization is the only organization in Canada that has the scale and ability to deliver volunteer opportunities for young people right across the country at all levels of organizations. His insistence that WE Charity was the only organization in Canada capable of delivering the program became one of his talking points about the CSSG. But once again, this harmed rather than helped the situation from Wee's perspective. His statement shifted the spotlight from the government procurement process, which opposition politicians and the media had every right to scrutinize, to the charity. To disprove Trudeau, it became necessary for anyone with an anti-liberal viewpoint to malign We Charity and find a basis to claim it was an unworthy steward of taxpayer dollars. As Scott Baker told me, with this one line, it was as though Trudeau put a target on We's back. All eyes were suddenly on the organization, and I felt as though we became helpless observers to our own dismantling. This development was painfully ironic because We Charity was supposed to be a silent administrative partner. The organization had been adamant with ESDC that it was to be a white-label solution for the CSSG, meaning that there would be no WE branding on the website, no references to WE Charity in the press releases, and no form of public attention. It was a program designed by the government and all the decision-making remained with the government, including media engagement. Now opposition MPs were laser-focused on discrediting the Prime Minister by discrediting We Charity. On June 26, Charlie Angers told the Globe and Mail, I find it extraordinary that Canada's civil service would come to the Prime Minister and say, Listen, we're not equipped to deliver programs for the Canadian people. You should privatize it and give it to a group that's very close to you. I would love to see who gave that recommendation because it just boggles the imagination. Duff Conacher, the co-founder of Democracy Watch, also advanced the notion that the government could somehow administer the program itself. There's no reason to involve a private organization, he asserted to the Toronto Star, and to make a private organization that is not subject to any of the conflict of interest rules the gatekeeper. The Star failed to note that the government hadn't succeeded in getting a similar large-scale youth program off the ground in nearly five years of trying, and the liberal government stayed quiet making no effort to respond to such comments with answers or explanations. But Trudeau and Chagger weren't the only ones causing self-inflicted wounds. On June 30th, Mark Kilberger found himself in hot water when a recording of a four-week-old video call between him and a group of youth leaders was leaked to the Canadian press. 
In it, Mark says, the Prime Minister's office invited We Charity to implement the CSSG the day after Trudeau announced plans for the program on April 22nd. Then the next day, the Prime Minister's office kindly called us and said, you know that announcement we just made? Would you be interested in helping us actually implement, Kilberger said in the call? After much consideration, we put up our hand and said, of course, we are happy to be of assistance. This statement, which was incorrect, undercut the assertion that the decision to award the CSSG to We Charity had been made by nonpartisan public servants, not by the prime minister or his office. It was an unfortunate and unnecessary error and it added fuel to the fire for MPs like Angus and Polyev, who continued to insist that the Kilbergers had been tossed a lifeline by their good friend Justin Trudeau. The same day, Mark moved to correct the record, releasing a statement and offering an apology. Speaking loosely and enthusiastically, I incorrectly referred to the Prime Minister's office he said in his statement. In fact, the outreach came from unelected officials at Employment and Social Development Canada. He later explained to me that he got carried away in the excitement of talking about the program and that he had simply resorted to using the shorthand PMO in one of dozens of similar calls he'd made that day. Whether he misspoke or was trying to make it all sound more grand. Let's face it, telling young people the Prime Minister's office called is a lot sexier than saying you were contacted by bureaucrats at ESDC. It would have been an irrelevant era in normal times, but this mistake would be brought up again and again by politicians and reporters alike. Within days, it was clear that the negative narrative about the CSSG was only getting worse. Journalists and pundits took to the air with a barrage of criticisms, and social media was in a frenzy. The We Charity leadership team felt that the entire program would be dragged down by the politics unless dramatic action was taken. There appeared to be only one way to remove the pressure of the growing political and media storm. It wasn't the decision we wanted to make because every one of our staff put so much time into building the CSSG, said Mark. But we knew the right thing to do for everyone was separate ourselves from this project. On Canada Day, we Charity held multiple closed-door meetings with officials from ESDC to decide the best course of action. Everyone was concerned that other nonprofits might drop out of the program because of negative brand association or that students would choose not to apply because of the damaging media coverage. The charity wanted assurances from the civil servants that the program would continue even if we wasn't involved, and it got that. So on July 3rd, 2020, 
it was officially announced that the government itself would administer the program. In a statement to the media, Cheger stated that it was a mutually agreed-upon decision and that the government wanted to ensure that those who had already applied were not adversely affected. Our government's objective remains to connect the skills and abilities of young people with service opportunities to help heal their communities. We Charity also released its own statement. Even as CSSG take-up has been very strong, the program has also been enmeshed in controversy from the moment of its announcement. Our concern is that to continue in this way, the program itself will begin to suffer, and as a consequence, opportunities for students might be negatively affected. Not only would that be unwelcome, but it is also unnecessary. The program has now been launched with a level of operational functionality and a critical mass of engagement that permits it to be otherwise administered. We Charity and ESDC have mutually agreed that the operational responsibility will be passed to the Government of Canada. In the hope that a clean slate would be in the best interest of CSSG, the organization also waived all fees already incurred, a not insubstantial amount of money. The charity had spent approximately $5 million on hiring and training hundreds of staff to administer this program and had made payments to vendors who provided technological services and back-end support. I always found the decision to waive fees particularly frustrating because the negative spin was that We Charity had sought the CSSG for financial gain or as some type of bailout. And then We Charity actually took a loss and bailed out the government. We covered these costs using a small endowment, a rainy day fund, and with help from me to we. No outside donations to specific projects were used. As soon as the announcement was made, Trudeau was peppered with questions about next steps for the CSSG. Unfortunately, his efforts to provide clarity once again only worsened the situation. He mistakenly said, it was we charity's decision to pull out, instead of one mutually agreed to. When asked by a reporter for the CBC if he would continue his work with we, he avoided the question and made a statement that seemed to place blame upon the charity. I think the organization is going to take some time to reflect on its next steps and how exactly it responds to this situation. But the Prime Minister's attempts to distance himself from the organization that he had once championed did not go as planned. And in the days ahead, new information came to light that changed the game for everyone involved. House of Cards At a press briefing on July 8, 2020, Prime Minister Trudeau was asked by Marika Walsh of the Globe and Mail if he had recused himself from cabinet discussions about We Charity and the CSSG. 
He said no. Then he dodged the question when asked why. I have long worked on youth issues, both before I got into politics and since I've been in politics as a youth critic, he said. Getting young people involved in serving their country, recognizing their desire to build a better Canada, particularly through this time of crisis, is something that I believe in deeply. Just two days later, the CBC ran a story revealing that Bill Marno had also failed to recuse himself from conversations about the organization. After some initial defiance, the finance minister backtracked and posted a written apology to Twitter. The fact that Trudeau and Murno did not recuse themselves from the cabinet decision to appoint we as the administrator of the CSSG came as a complete shock to the organization. This bears repeating because it is so misunderstood. We Charity and the Kilbergers had no idea whether politicians had recused themselves or what steps they did or did not take to comply with their own ethics rules on government process. After all, from Wee's perspective, nothing about the organization's involvement with the Trudeaus or Marno was a secret. In fact, we advertised Trudeau's involvement to the world by putting him and his wife on stage and having his mother and brother speak at dozens of public events. Similarly, We Charity was proud that the Myrno McCains were donors and had visited international projects. The hope was that they would tell everyone who would listen about their experiences. That was the point. For everyone at WE, the assumption was that all government rules were followed, and those who should have recused themselves did. No one asked anyone at WE for an opinion about whether Trudeau and Murno should recuse themselves, and no one at WE offered one. And that is precisely as it should be. In a one-two punch, WE Charity learned from the press at around the same time that the CSSG was a sole source contract. This also came as a complete surprise. The organization had been told by various civil servants that they were asking other groups to submit proposals to deliver part or all of the program. In testimony before the FINA committee, Wernick and others would later explain that they had explored multiple options but finally determined that no other group had the capacity to administer the CSSG. Due to the tight time frame and the lack of viable options, the civil service asked only WE Charity to submit a formal proposal. Unlike WE, which had no idea it was entering into a sole source contract, the cabinet members making the decision could of course have learned of this fact. Looking back, it is mind-boggling to me that in addition to failing to recuse themselves, both Trudeau and Murno did not ask, did not care, or did not perceive how a sole source contract might appear to the public or be exploited by opposition parties. In any event, their failure to hold up a stop sign and demand additional proposals from ESDC was catastrophic for We Charity. As both a board member and in the course of writing this book, I have been surprised by the number of people 
including those who continue to be supportive of We Charity, who suggest that the organization was foolish not to see a conflict of interest issue coming. How did we not make sure there was no conflict when dealing with the government? Did the Kilbergers just miss this conflict because they were in a rush? Was the board asleep at the wheel? Perhaps we should have had someone experienced in government procurement issues in the room. As a lawyer who spends a lot of time thinking about and advising companies on conflict of interest issues, I find these questions both vexing and confusing. Let's be clear, entities and individuals have an obligation to monitor and, where necessary, disclose their own conflicts of interest. So I would have been concerned if someone within We Charity had an undisclosed conflict because she was, for example, running an unrelated nonprofit that would benefit from volunteer hours through the CSSG. We Charity did not, however, have any responsibility to address conflicts of interest on the part of the government, nor could it. How could any organization signing a contract with the government possibly know every rule that must be complied with, which employees might have a conflict, and whether internal checks and balances have been observed? Given that cabinet discussions are always confidential, outside groups have no insight into the decision-making process. If companies that engage in activities with the government whether selling pencils, providing health care, or delivering charitable services, were responsible for policing internal government compliance with its own rules, it would lead to paralysis and turn into a legal nightmare. How could any entity possibly be sure that every actor in the government had done the right thing? This is why, with the CSSG, the obligation of recusal belong to the ministers and other public office holders who were involved in making decisions, period. To hold We Charity accountable for ethics decisions by government actors is as ridiculous as holding a job applicant responsible for an employer's failure to comply with its internal hiring policies or labor laws. And yet, in peddling a scandal, this is the type of responsibility some politicians and media outlets tried to lay at the doorstep of We Charity. Testimonial, Chip Wilson. Chip Wilson is a Canadian entrepreneur, philanthropist, and proud father to five. He has founded several apparel companies, most notably Lululemon Athletica, in 2007, Wilson and his wife, Shannon, launched Imagine One Day, an international charity dedicated to improving access to education in Ethiopia. Canadian politicians have a lot to answer for. In 2007, my wife and I started a charity called Imagine One Day, which focuses on building systems to ensure that Ethiopian children have access to primary school education. In 2017, we merged Imagine One Day with We Charity. In deciding to partner with We Charity, 
We did plenty of diligence, visited its overseas operations, and made sure that we trusted the organization and its founders. That trust remained strong, and I would do it again if I could. But now, because of the destruction of We Charity by politicians bent on scoring points in a partisan fight, I estimate that over the next 10 years, approximately 300,000 Ethiopian children will lose their access to primary education. It will simply vanish because of the loss of We Charity's work. I'm left to reflect on the how and why of it all. Headlines bent on selling advertising instead of reporting the truth, one party's quest to win the next federal election, and the questionable ethics of opposition parties using a children's charity as a political pawn. And many Canadians who believed in we and knew that falsehoods were being peddled seemed silent or silenced. Sometimes their voices were drowned out or ignored. Some were scared. And in my view, some Canadians tend to confuse standing back and passively reacting with a form of politeness. Unfortunately, it is not an effective way to deal with bullies. Justin Trudeau and Bill Murno should have recused themselves, but those missteps do not justify the destruction of a charity that made a massive difference in the lives of so many, particularly when even today there's no evidence that the charity did anything wrong. We Charity was tossed aside by Justin Trudeau and a liberal government that wanted to shift blame. And it was simultaneously used by the NDP and conservatives as a tool to attack Trudeau. The result, among many other catastrophic consequences, is that hundreds of thousands of young people in Ethiopia have lost the ability to receive a primary education. We Charity, its employees, and the thousands of people who have volunteered deserve an apology from all political parties. So do all Canadians. Murnau's failure to recuse was particularly thorny for the government. Things only grew worse when Brian Lilly published a story about the Murnau family Ecuador trip in the Toronto Sun on July 11th. It's getting harder to tell where the Liberal Party of Canada ends and We Charity begins, Lilly wrote, before suggesting that it might be easier to ask which top liberals didn't have a connection to We than which did. The article also included a quote from Murnau's spokesperson, Pierre-Olivier Herbert, insisting that the Murnau family covered all associated costs and expenses. This statement turned out to be inaccurate. Eleven days later, Murnau told the FINA committee that while preparing for his testimony, he realized Mitawi had not charged him for some of the expenses associated with his family stay. His office, he said, had asked Mitawi for an invoice. The cost of lodging, food, and in-country transportation were in the range of $13,000. But Murnau's team twice asked we to raise the tally to the highest possible amount. 
someone could pay for such a trip. The Myrno McCain family had stayed for a shorter visit than was typical, but his office wanted a total with no deductions for the excluded days or any other discounts whatsoever. It probably seems unusual to most Canadians to dramatically overpay for a trip, but this request was likely made to avoid future issues with the ethics commissioner. The morning of his FINA appearance, Murnau wrote a check for $41,000, the maximum possible amount. The money was paid to We Charity rather than Me to We with the social enterprise eating the cost for the benefit of the charity. And no, the minister did not receive a tax receipt. Meanwhile, even though We Charity had stepped away from the CSSG, the media's interest in the organization did not subside. In fact, the number of media requests grew exponentially in the aftermath of Trudeau's non-recusal admission. On a single day in July, four different CBC reporters contacted We for comment on a variety of stories, as did dozens of other journalists from news outlets across Canada. In the days, weeks, and months that followed, the organization's small public relations team, a fraction of its usual size because of the COVID layoffs, was pushed to its limits responding to over 5,000 media requests, many with deadlines of only a few hours. Even if we had the staff at the time, our PR team was never built to be a crisis communications department, Craig explained. Their focus has always been to share positive news with the public, like We Day celebrations and impacts being made in partner communities overseas. And soon, the media had a new angle on Wee's relationship with the Trudeaus. On June 26, in response to a question from CBC journalist Janice McGregor regarding Trudeau's family member appearances at Wee Days, the charity stated that it has never paid honorariums to anyone in the family, although it has covered Sophie Gregor Trudeau's travel costs. As it turned out, there were two problems with this statement. First, it was an overly technical answer. The organization should have proactively acknowledged that while the charity had not paid speaking fees, its social enterprise partner, Midawi, had paid honorariums to Margaret Trudeau and Alexander Trudeau for their participation at fundraising events that sometimes ran parallel to we days. Second, and more troubling, it turned out that the accounting team at We Charity had mistakenly paid certain honorarium bills instead of me to we. This error came to light when journalist Jess Brown said he had an invoice showing We Charity had paid an agency called Speaker Spotlight $7,000 to hire Margaret Trudeau for an event on October 20th 2017. The mere fact of hiring public speakers is not an issue. Hospitals pay honorariums for celebrity golf tournaments and universities for lecture series, and countless charities pay celebrities to speak at gala dinners. We Charity did not typically rely 
on traditional fundraising vehicles like lotteries, telemarketing calls, street canvassers, or TV commercials, and instead found it more cost-effective and impactful to at times pay high-profile supporters to attend smaller fundraising events, engage with guests, and hopefully boost donations. Speakers and performers were never paid for appearing at We Day. That was viewed as privilege. Even big names like Selena Gomez, Jennifer Aniston, Demi Lovato, and Lily Singh, people who could command hundreds of thousands of dollars for appearances, were not paid other than being reimbursed in some cases for out-of-pocket expenses. Fundraising events, however, were different because they required additional commitments that were not always easy to secure for free. DeLaw, Craig, and Mark explained to me that when speakers were willing to appear at no cost, that was the preferred option. But those who typically charged for their services and were perceived as likely to boost fundraising at these ancillary events were given honorariums. It was a discretionary decision by WE executive management. Other paid speakers at WE fundraising events included well-known Canadians like astronaut Chris Hatfield, wheelchair racer and senator Chantelle Petitclair, and rapper Cardinal Official. If funding for speakers was available from corporate sponsors for specific initiatives run by WE Charity, the bill was footed by those sponsors or included as part of the package cost of sponsoring an event. When funding was not available, me to WE would step in and pay to assist WE Charity. This was the case with Margaret Trudeau. According to WE Charity, between October 2016 and March 2020, she was hired to take part in 27 events and for each of those, she provided an average of three to five extras per engagement, things like meeting and greeting donors and guests before and after events. For this work, she received a total of $180,000 in fees or an average of $6,666 per engagement. The total expenses for those appearances, which included several international trips to the U.S. and the U.K., and covered things like flights, food, hotels, and car services, were just over $163,600. These are hardly astronomical numbers, giving her profile as a best-selling author, well-known mental health activist, and yes, mother of the current prime minister, and spouse of a former prime minister. For his part, Alexander Trudeau was hired nine times and received $36,000 or $4,333 per engagement to speak about his documentary films and environmental work. These honorariums were in line with those received by other well-known individuals who participated in WE fundraising events over the past decades. Everything was arranged and paid through Speaker Spotlight, a large talent and speaker agency that represents celebrities of all types, including Joe Clark, Mary Walsh, 
and Peter Mansbridge. It's important to note here that Margaret Trudeau is a professional speaker. Her relationship with We Charity is not unique. She has for decades accepted paid engagements from companies and organizations. Past clients listed on her Speaking Bureau website include the Economic Club of Canada, the Royal Inland Hospital Foundation, Northern Ontario Business, Pathstone Foundation, and App Dynamics, as well as many nonprofits that receive government funding, such as the Canadian Mental Health Association, the University of Ontario Institute of Technology, the YWCA, and McMaster University. She has also been engaged by corporations that do business with the government, such as Bank of Montreal. Although I don't know how much Margaret Trudeau is paid by these organizations, I think it is fair to assume it is in total many times greater than the amount paid to her by we. None of these entities are, to my knowledge, prohibited from working with government or from accepting federal funding. And I'm not aware of any public or private effort to investigate the extent to which these organizations have interacted with the liberals over the years in which Justin Trudeau has been prime minister. The bottom line is that any scrutiny regarding Margaret Trudeau's speaking engagements for We Charity should have focused on whether her speeches created a conflict of interest for her son, and if so, whether he managed the conflict by recusing himself from the decision to award the CSSG to we. The charity had no say in that decision. But none of this mattered to politicians, pundits, and journalists looking for scandal. Coming back to the invoice, as soon as they saw it, we officials double-checked their records and realized a billing error had occurred for a set of fundraising events. Me to we should have paid Margaret Trudeau's speaking bureau, not we charity. The organization immediately contacted Janice McGregor, the CBC reporter, who had been given the incorrect information and offered a clarification. Reaction was swift. The media presented the news as a revelation with serious implications for the charity, Justin Trudeau, and the Liberal Party. Opposition politicians savored the moment with Charlie Angus accusing the Liberals of thinking they could play Canadians for suckers, conservatives calling it scandalous, and the Bloc Québécois calling for Trudeau to step down pending an investigation. Where it was possible to create the impression that even more dirt might exist, critics went for it. For example, the National Post questioned whether Margaret Trudeau was paid to speak at the Wee Day on Parliament Hill to celebrate Canada's 150th birthday, but never bothered to ferret out the answer. She was not. The Post just fronted the issue so the conservative MP and ethics critic Michael Barrett could offer this nugget. It would be entirely unacceptable for Canadian tax dollars to be used to pay a speaking fee for the mother of the Prime Minister at an event where she was appearing with him. It's an unbelievable revelation in a series of unbelievable revelations. 
We Charity's mistake would have been a small one in ordinary times, but the moment was anything but ordinary. To me and other board members, it was clear that the organization had really stepped in it. Now it appeared as though We Charity was part of a scheme to protect the liberals and Trudeau, and we knew it would be easier for opposition members and the media to make We part of the story. It quickly became apparent that the charity was in jeopardy of losing the public's trust if it did not try to make amends and set the record straight. Staff members were anxious, sad, frustrated, and angry, often all at once. Supporters watched in stunned silence. To their credit, the Kilbergers owned it. Before the board, they acknowledged that the mistake was the product of moving too fast and trying too hard to differentiate between We Charity and Me to We. On this latter point, I was unhappy, but I understand why it happened. The organization had always focused on making sure there was no confusion between the work of the charity and the activities of its social enterprise partner. Everyone knew that the relationship was novel in Canada and thus attracted scrutiny. Precision, whether in accounting, donor engagement, or public relations, was expected and required. Here, though, a reflexive attempt to be precise came off as way too cute. The bottom line is it should never have happened. In an effort to speak directly to Canadians, the Kilbergers made a public apology through a full-page ad that appeared in The Globe and Mail, The Vancouver Sun, and The Toronto Star to accept personal responsibility for the challenges facing the charity. Once we learned that the charity did pay for their speeches, the error was identified and the charity was reimbursed, they wrote in the ad. Yet the error should not have happened and we apologized. Unfortunately, the ad did little to tamp down the media frenzy and misleading articles continued to be published. The opposition, it seemed, had found a big juicy target in We Charity and the Kilbergers, and in the already hot political climate, with Trudeau's history of ethics violations, no one was in a forgiving mood. And that mood was about to get worse. Thank you for listening. You can download more episodes of What We Lost wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about Tafik Rangwala's national bestseller or to buy the book, visit whatwelost.com and discover the real story behind the CSSG controversy.